Welcome to Rugged Theology, a podcast of Mile One Mission. Mile One Mission seeks to plant churches in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. So guys, welcome to episode three of, of Rugged Theology. Hey, Steve. Uh, just to introduce you guys, uh, could you just introduce yourself, who you are? Sure. I'm Matt. I'm a church planter with uh, Mile One. I'm uh, Adam Diamond. I'm a intern with Mile One Mission. And my name is David Drover, and I'm also an intern with Mile One Mission. My last name is Leahy. <laughs> Just because I'm Matt. And yeah, thanks. Yeah. And I'm Steve Daw. I'm the director of education for Mile One Mission. All right. So we last time we discussed what the gospel was, but I don't think we actually covered everything that we wanted to to talk about with that. So. Uh, just for by way of review, Matt, would you be willing to tell us what the gospel is? Yeah, sure. So why why reinvent the wheel? Let me just um let me just go straight to to the word of God and tell you what God says the gospel is. So if you if you look in First Corinthians fifteen, uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, "For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. That is, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried." that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So that, that's, that's straight from, from God. That's what he's saying his gospel is. But I, I like to break it down into, um, yeah, some more bite-sized chunks if I can. So last week we d- we talked about this phrase, God, man, Christ response. And I just, I just want to elaborate on that a bit more if I, if I could. Sure. Cool. Sure. So we'll, we gotta, we we'll understand that the space to do that. Hey, thanks. <laughs> so are we talking like two meters or are we talking like, Six feet. You have six, six feet. feet. Always six feet. You have to give you six feet anyway. The do. government's told us. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Anyway, so uh, God, man, Christ response. And so it basically goes like this. You have God who is the creator of everything, uh, things seen and unseen. He's creator of, of the earth. He created us. Uh, and so by nature, he is the owner and he gets to dictate uh like morality and the standards for ethics and what constitutes uh, our behavior. And he gets to define our relationship with him. Um, And it's also important to understand that, you know, in this world, we, we, we routinely run up against this idea that God is nothing but love. He is love, love, love. And yes, he is right. But there's so many more qualities to God that I think the world overlooks and one of those is that he is a just God. So he has to punish sin. It's in his nature to do so. And, and that kind of, and listen, guys, there, there has been volumes written on the characteristics of God. And I, I can't get into it today. I don't think anyone can. So I'll, I'll just move on. Let's just keep it at that, that God is a just God. But then there's the man equation. So God creates us. And then we commit what's called, you know, cosmic rebellion against God. So God says in the garden, don't eat the fruit and we eat the fruit. And so it's, you know, in, in essence, it is cosmic rebellion. And we looked at God and said, you know what? Um, our authority, our understanding is so much more than yours. And you can just take yours and pretty much go away. We think we know what's best. And so we commit cosmic rebellion and sin comes into the world. And actually, when you look at, at the, the first um, recorded sin after that, it like it it goes from bad to significantly worse. So you go from eating this fruit to murdering, like Cain murdering his brother, right? Like that that is, oh, that escalated quickly, right? Um, and and so there's this inherent sin that permeates throughout all of the world. Uh, we are affected by it, and but God in His grace and His mercy looked through time. And he's like, you know what? And guys, listen, this is a huge paraphrase, but he looks at it and he's like, you know what? Man can't fix this by himself. And so when you read back in Genesis, you see God kickstart the greatest rescue mission in all of history. When he looks, when he's proclaiming these, um, like punishments, I guess, if you will, uh, against the serpent and against mankind, he says to the serpent, you know, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and I'm going to send someone who's going to crush your head. And so that's what's called the proto-evangelium. Did I say that wrong? Close enough. 
Yeah, okay. So it, it's like the gospel before the gospel. Um, and and that, that, that realization is found in Jesus, the Messiah, right? He comes and he's a sacrificial lamb who dies for the sins of the world. He appeases the wrath of God. He satisfies his justice. And the punishment that we so rightfully deserve is taken upon Christ on the cross. And our response is worship, thanksgiving, right? Just complete adoration. When you realize just how impacted we are by sin, that this perfect holy God from the beginning of time of human history would say, you know what? I want to save these people. That's the gospel. Okay, cool. Sorry, that was a bit long, but I think it's important. Well, you know, it was a little bit long, but guys, is there anything you'd like to add, take away, correct? Uh, no, I, you did pretty good, man. I'll, I'll give you an A on that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Uh, Dave, uh, A, A, A minus. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that sums up well. Um, I, the only thing I might add in is part of the response to that we would always say is faith. Right? Mm. Um, for sure. But yeah. yeah, our faith has to be, you know, our faith is not in ourselves, but our faith is placed in Christ and what Christ has done. Right. So I'm it's gonna, an easy it's an easy phrase to to remember God man Christ response, but I just it's so hard to just keep it within a thirty second definition because there's so much like meat in it, right? Well, I mean, the re- there's a reason that God gave us a Bible and not just uh, you know God uh, God sin Christ response. God man Christ response, yeah. It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more involved. So it's not surprising that you're not going to answer it quickly. So. That's interesting, and that's very important stuff. But as a person listening to this kind of thing and that very nice explanation, I have to ask, so what? What does, what does it mean that this gospel is true? How does this change anything? I mean, what does it mean for, first of all, the Christian life? Does, does it affect the Christians' lives? Anybody? Absolutely. Well, how so? How? Like like those English questions in school? (laughs) If so, explain. (laughs) Well, I I think it has a a lot of practical applications. I think it's that to the um, life of the the believer. Um, But before maybe getting into that, I would like to maybe comment on the first question. So what? Um, And I think the the answer to to put it really simply is, relationship with God. I think we've been created, um, well, we were created by God, as Matt said, and, and when we were created, we were created in an image, an image that um, of God, of, of God who is Trinity and who is in relationship with himself. Um, and that means that we also yearn, we, we long for relationship. And when we fell, when, when man sinned, that relationship with us and God, it was broken. So ultimately the so what is that we can that now be reconciled to God through faith in Christ alone. And and that's a big deal. Yeah, if there's anything that's proven to the world that human beings are social beings, it's this whole pandemic and lockdown. Uh, you know, we've seen just multiple articles on loneliness and what it does to people. And people ju- are just craving to get out and have some sort of social interaction. Even if they're introverts, you wanna have some sort of interaction you just you just need it. That's how we're created. Uh, one thing um, we we just did a I just sent off my paper for our Acts uh, twenty nine stuff and uh, it's talking about the role of the spirit in the believer. And uh, thank you for being so timely with the paper, by the way. What's yeah, what's like, the date today that we're recording this? This, this is the fifth. And yeah. and when was it due? Thirty first. Hey, thirty first. Five days. Jesus is four days late. I'm five days late. Mine's on the way. <laughs> Yeah, I had mine in about a week early. Okay, that's not the conversation. <laughs> Do you want a gold star, Matt? <laughs> yes. Okay, anyway. so uh, in this paper, um, you'll see it. Um, I included a quote from Craig Keener, and it said, often we don't view the fruits of the Spirit as supernatural gifts. And it goes, it goes on to say, as if we could manifest those in our, li- in our lives on our own. And I thought that was a pretty good point. That uh, okay? What is this fruit of the spirit thing you're talking about here? 
Um, I will gladly tell you, we have love, peace, patience, and joy. <laughs> Pineapples, <laughs> apples. No, no, no okay, not, no, no. Let, 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 let me let me get it there because you guys are just staring at me like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like spotlights on Adam. Come on, what are they? Yeah. So we have the fruits of the spirit of lo- our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So these are the fruits of the Spirit that we say the Holy Spirit manifests in our lives. As we read our Bible more, as we pray more, as we seek God more, His Spirit is at work in our lives. He makes us more like Him, more like Christ. Um, So basically, you know, what Craig Keener is saying is that we basically can't develop these own gifts on our own in our lives. Uh, when you become a Christian, I mean, you become more loving as you seek God. You become more patient. You become more go- kind, you know, gentle. You develop more self-control. All these things grow in us as a result of God, not of our own works. So, that, I mean, that's another aspect for sure to the so what. So those fruit that you're talking about when it comes to the Holy Spirit, those sound like things that we should be able to see generally in a believer's life is that right yeah i mean they they should be evident i mean you you grow um we become more christ-like it's not like when you say when you get saved when you place your faith in jesus all of a sudden you're a perfect christian uh you you have everything right in your life no it's it's a process and that process is what we call sanctification that's that'll be our no million dollar word for the day no that's a party word party word so you go to a party and you drop sanctification, like I'm telling you, you're, you're the center of attention now. I don't know what parties you go to. I'd like that party. Yeah, right? There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. So everyone, if you're listening and you want to go to a party where sanctification, uh, you can drop that and you are the life of the party, go to Matt's house. <laughs> there you Amen. Go. There you go. Also, um, just <laughs> After for anybody, social distancing. Yes, yes, that's right. Social distancing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, just in case anybody's wondering, where Adam is talking about the fruits of the Spirit and stuff, you can you can go look in your Bibles all about that in Galatians 5. Just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody's listening and wondering where that comes from. Yeah, right. so, uh, I mean, that's part of the so what, is that these manifest in the believer's life. Um, we should see growth in someone who has placed their faith in Christ. And, you know, in a real-life application, let's say you're... You have a sister or a brother that you just really just fight with all the time. You couldn't stand their guts or you walk into the house and you're just always at each other's throats. When, when you place your faith in Christ, there should be some sort of noticeable difference. Maybe you have a bit more love. I mean, you might still fight. You might still argue. But you might find you have a bit more compassion for them. You might find you have a bit more patience for them. And as you read your Bible, you find that that, that starts to grow in your life. Um, and one thing that I I took with me, you know, through all my teenage years was there's one way to tell basically how you're growing as a Christian, and it's to look back on the years before, or even the past year, and compare yourself now to how the fruits have developed in your life. And if you aren't more loving, if you aren't more patient, or any other fruit that you're lacking in, then you 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 should look at your life and go to God and be like, God, like I need you to work at this in my life. Help me to work on this more become more like you in this area so that I can you know, show people your love, your grace, your mercy. I almost feel like uh, that's like the litmus test of what, I'm going to say this cautiously, I feel like that's the litmus test for what it looks like to be a Christian. So like it, it's very common in, in our uh, day and age for people to say, oh, I, I believe in Jesus, right? Oh, I say my prayers, I believe in Jesus. Absolutely. Um, right? And then you look at, at, at I think it's in, in Jude, which is even, even the demons believe and they shudder. Right. And so the, so what, like you say you believe in Christ, but are you looking like Christ? Are you conforming to what it means to act and look like Jesus? I I feel like that's, that's one way uh, to, you know, perform a litmus test. So you say you believe, sure. Are, are you demonstrating your, your faith, right? So, Right. Now, it is important that we recognize there's a danger there. Because mm. as you said, it's are you showing your faith? Mm. The faith is the important part. Yep. The litmus test simply shows if the faith is there or not. Yep. 
it can give you a false positive. And that is in the book of James. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's actually in the book of James. Yes. And it correctly understood. What is the um, famous quote? I believe it was Luther. Um, we are saved by faith alone, but our faith is never actually alone. Right. Or something mm. to that effect. Not by faith that stays alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, if we look at our culture, you can clearly see that. Um, I used to work at the rec room, which is owned by Cineplex. as just a place full of arcade games, uh, virtual reality, bowling, that kind of stuff. So I work with people from all backgrounds, most of them uh, students in their early 20s. So I got I got a lot of questions because they found out that, you know, I was a at the time I had my credentials with uh, the Pentecostal Assemblies in Newfoundland, Labrador. Uh, so they had a lot of questions like, how are you a pastor? Like, I've never actually been able to talk to a pastor. And uh, one girl was telling me a story about uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, how they had come to her door and how awkward it was. And I told her, I said, yeah, they don't believe the same thing we do. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I, I believe that Jesus is God. She's like, is that what we believe? And I had to laugh because she said, is that what we believe? And I was like, well, I mean, obviously you don't believe it, but... Uh, no, because she, again, she had grown up, at least gone to Mass a couple times to the Catholic Church. Her her parents were Catholic. Her grandparents were Catholic. So her parents brought her to the church basically just to appease her grandparents, and she wasn't really taught anything, just confirmed in the church, and then that was it. She was good, and she didn't really know anything about the faith. So she, like, I have never... That was the first time I had actually met someone who actually didn't know anything about the Christian faith. They didn't know that Christians believed Jesus was God. They didn't know how all that worked out. She actually didn't know anything. And I was like, holy crap. But yet you would probably identify yourself as a quote unquote Christian or, you know, of a Christian society. And I think that's kind of a problem that we run into generally. Um, it's easy for people to say that I am a Christian. Yep. It's harder to actually produce the fruit of the spirit that we've been talking about. It is. And I mean, again, you're talking about the lit litmus test. I think sometimes we need to be a little mindful. Some, some seeds take a little longer mm -hmm. to grow. Right. Some yeah. seeds take a little more work. So some people sometimes take a little more time for these fruits to start to produce in their lives. Though at the same time, uh, I've had similar experiences in work situations where uh, I was working late night at a call center, and you have a lot of interesting conversations late night when you're working at a call center. Um, and during one of these conversations, we were talking about uh, what it's what it is to be a Christian. And I was told that uh, Christians are all about making sure that you know we wear the really snazzy clothes and that we're <laughs> um, we're always perfect and we don't like anybody who disagrees with us or doesn't uh, follow through with the same way we would believe, like uh, where, you know, uh, they don't like uh, people who smoke or drink or swear. And if you smoke or drink or swear, your Christian friends are going to hate you. Um, I guess I'm not a Christian. Uh, <laughs> possibly not. But I mean, that's, and that, that was one of the points that I was trying to get, get across. Um, it is possible. And one of the problems that we do run into as Christians sometimes is that we, try to get as false positive another way by producing things that look like the fruits of the spirit, mm -hmm. but they're not based in faith. So they're not quite fruit. They're kind of uh, stuff grafted onto the tree. You try to glue pears onto apple trees and stuff. Kind of like those like fake apples you get in some people's houses. You think it's real. You pick it up and you're like, oh, that was fake. I was really looking forward to a real apple there. Yeah. And that can happen. Um, but I mean, it, it is important then that uh, Christians would produce something based on the belief in the gospel. Um, by the way, we've been using the word faith an awful lot. When we say faith, what are you guys meaning by it? What do we mean, guys? I'm not grading you. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to know, what do you mean by faith? To put it simply for someone, because I mean, we, we're not going to have, I guess, theologically astute people always listen to this. Simply, you trust in something that you just believe to be true. We read scripture, 
we see it to be true that Jesus died for us. And then we don't, we have never actually seen Jesus. We have never actually, we have the trust in what is before us and what the word says. So we place our faith in that in the hope that Christ's, Christ's righteousness will be enough for us, as scripture says, when we go before God, that we will be saved through him. We place our faith in him. Yes, yeah. I think you can also, no, go ahead, Dave. Okay, I was just going to say absolutely. So, I mean, faith and belief are, are very similar terms. I'm not going to necessarily equate them, but we'll see a lot of Christians kind of use them. Interchangeably. Yeah, interchangeably, thanks. Um, and I think, uh, you know, as a Christian, we've been talking about kind of the fruits of the Spirit, what comes out of faith and things like that. Um, and it's always important to keep that in mind that when we're talking about faith, especially a Christian faith, a Christian belief, that, that trust in Jesus there you is, go. Trust. is so important. Oh, yeah. um, and, and it's trust because it's not just something that's in your head, but it's a real trust that actually means you live your life trusting in him and you live your life obeying what he tells you to do. It's, it's like the trust of a child and a parent, right? Mm. So when Jesus says things like in, in Mark chapter 8, to follow me means to pick up your cross and deny yourself, then, then that's, what, that's an application of what real belief, real faith, real trust mm-hmm. in our Savior means for, for our lives, that we deny ourselves that in that term, pick up your cross, it's it's basically be willing to go down the road on the way. Um, well, I mean, you, Christ, take, right? you take little children, and even if you don't have kids yourself, you've probably experienced this. Um, when they go to jump off of high, a high spot or maybe into a pool, sometimes they don't give warning. They're just full faith that you are going to catch them, whether you're looking at them or not. They have full faith placed in you, and there's no doubt in their mind that you're not going to catch them or mom and dad is not going to catch them. They just leap, and there's no hesitation. They just fully trust in you. And I think that's, I I want to thank you guys for uh, actually making my point for me. We use the word faith, and, you know, people will refer to us as people of faith. Mm -hmm. But largely, most of us don't really grasp what we're talking about. But... It is actually fairly simple when you think about it. It's just trust. I think the one thing that we didn't mention is the object of our faith. And that's the point, because trust is not something that... Faith, we tend to think of as intransitive now. We don't... You know, you're a person of faith. And we don't have anything as... Trust, there has to be something that you are trusting. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I mean, it's not, and that's not even a term used just for Christians anymore. Anyone of a religion, like you're a person of faith, you're, you're, you're placing your faith in something. So we need to be able to say, okay, one, define what that faith is. You know, what do you mean by placing your faith in something? And two, okay, we really need to be clear on who we're, who or what we're placing our faith in. Uh, And again, this all ties back to that so what question, because if we place our faith in Christ, then we're just simply acknowledging that one, we are basically evil people. We just keep screwing up again and again and again. We, we, we can never really get it right. Uh, so we have to trust in Christ that he made it right and that through the Holy Spirit, God will you know, make us right in his eyes that we are justified through Christ that we are made right in his eyes, that we are, like Dave said, reconciled when we place our faith in him, made right in God's eyes. And then God begins that work in us to make us basically how we were originally planned to be to be seen. And that's that's really important too, because this is how we actually look different. If we have faith in this gospel that we talked about at the beginning, the way we act looks different. Uh if we have a true faith in Jesus, for example, that I am saved by his work alone, I'm not horribly worried about whether or not God loves me because I happen to sin. Mm-hmm. Because it, it isn't based on me. It's based on Christ. Mm. That's, a, that's a good, simple example. I don't have to have, uh, I don't be, have to be constantly propping up my self-esteem anymore because my self-esteem is beside the point. It's God's esteem for me, and that's never been in question. And, and that's one of the, something you touched on, Steve, one of the beautiful things about, A, God's love, but also the love of the gospel. I'm, I'm reminded now as we're talking about this of, of the song that our uh, friend Pat Chabelle wrote called Jesus, Thank You. 
one of the lyrics is once your enemy now i'm seated at your table jesus thank you and and the idea that you know god died for us when we were his enemy so we can know now that we're his children that he definitely does for sure love us like there's there's no question again this isn't about us you know acting differently but that you know we don't just go out and do good things god's what makes us good <laughs> without god uh we do any good that we actually do is 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 nothing uh, we there's some sort of motive usually behind that good um i can say i go down and say feed the poor with just because it's a good thing to do but it's still serving me because you know i'm probably doing it because i get a good feeling out of it i uh tick that box I might, yeah, I take that box. Hey, I helped humanity. I'm doing my part. It's all about me still. Instead, as a Christian, I would go down and serve there uh, and feed the poor because, one, God has made my heart alive, and he, you know, he breaks my heart for who breaks his heart. He asks us to, to you know, take note of the poor, the oppressed, uh, the widow, and to take care of them. This is where God's heart is. And I do it for him and him alone. It's not for my glory. I don't, I don't help these people because it's a good thing to do. I help these people because it's what God wants me to do. And, of course, that is part of the gospel. I mean, the fact is, when we did the whole God, man, Christ response mm-hmm. thing, we talked about how we aren't the point of it. Christ is. Well, Christ is the point for us. He's also the point for the poor people down you know, wherever they are. He's also the 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 god of the oppressed he's also the god uh the creator of the people that we like to hate and so that alters the way things are seen if we understand this gospel if we have faith and i would actually say if our eyes have been supernaturally opened to the glories of the gospel it changes the way other people should seem to us Hmm. And so it doesn't look, it doesn't feel like I'm doing good stuff for people. It's just, this is what people do. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think, too, we should make note of the fact that, you know, God gave us salvation through Jesus Christ while we were still enemies. Yeah. Mm. And that flies in the face of our culture, especially right now. Uh, you know, we we just so easy to draw distinct lines. We're right, you're wrong. Uh, I'm smart, you're stupid. Uh, you're absolutely morally evil, morally corrupt. But Jesus says, "Love your enemies." He says, "Pray for your enemies. Pray for those that curse you, that persecute you." And then the gospel is that while we were still enemies of God, we we hadn't made any effort to you know try and correct if not that we could correct our wrong but while we were enemies god didn't save us while we were you know trying to have peace talks with him or trying to sign a treaty no we were enemies full-on enemies of god and then he finished that rebellion by dying for us after our salvation and giving us new life and making us his sons and daughters well, and this too, it, it goes back though to, it, it has two major facets of the gospel working at the same time. I can't look at somebody else and say, you are beyond God's salvation because God saved me. Mm-hmm. But second of all, I can't actually go look at somebody else and say, you are just so much more worse than me that I can't possibly help you or pray for you or love you. Because God loved me when I was all of those things. Yeah, and you kind of reminded me of just a quote uh, yesterday that I, I heard, and it goes, you're never so good enough that you don't need God, and you're never bad enough that you are too far away from God, right? And I think these things are important for us to recognize, especially right now, when it's so easy for us. I mean, we're on Facebook all the time or Twitter all the time, and we're we find it easy to talk negatively about other people, but we don't ever really notice the evils in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of my favorite books of late has been a book by Alexander Sholonitsyn called The Gulag Archipelago. And in it, he has this one line that I think is brilliant. It, he says that 
the line between good and evil is not a line outside of you. It runs through every human heart. Mm. And so God in his grace and in his mercy has worked to change, to put some goodness in our hearts and to make us desire to be good. And so we can't really look at other people and say they're worse than me or they, they're, they're less valuable than me because God saved me. Mm. And, and of course it also means then that we're going uh, as a response, we're not going to be the kinds of people who just look at other people's evil. The first things that we're going to be looking at is our own. Uh, I think there was a word that uh, somebody talked about last time. One of the part of the response of the gospel is uh, again, $5 theological word repentance. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we repent of our evil of our sin before Christ and we do it all every day. I mean, there's not a day that one of us doesn't go and not commit sin. But again, the idea of the Christian faith is not that we're perfect. It's that we're saved by grace. That's by God's grace that we are saved and that, you know, he, he forgives us because of what Christ has done. And I guess our real life application of this, you know, talk about evil now. I mean, let's say again, we go to your sister's house. You walk in, you have a huge fight or your sister's doing just tears into you, rips you a new one. What's a gospel response to that? I mean, as you're growing, your response could change, but you know, to apply the gospel to that would be like, I'm going to pray for you. James one nineteen. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There's the application. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you pray for that person. You don't just call out their evil and say, you're such a horrible human being. How could you do this to me? And, of course, part of it's going to be you're going to li- – uh, you're quick to listen means we actually hear them. Mm-hmm. So we will listen to what, say, for example, my sister says to me, uh, she may be angry when she says it, but she might be justified. Yep. And so I need to at, listen to her. Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Right? Mm-hmm. Very, back right to the fruits of the Spirit again. Exactly. Yep. And, and guys, I want to just chime in a little bit here because I really want to emphasize too just the idea, we, we've already kind of mentioned it, that there's a way that Christians should be obedient. There's a motivation behind it that's, that's so important that makes a difference between us being legalistic and us really obeying the gospel and, and having that um, flow through us. And so, for instance, in that scenario with, with your sister-in-law or whatever, yes, those are the right things to do, but but you've always got to check why. Well, am I just going to be listening and, and patient just because it's the right thing to do, or am I going to do that out of love? Mm-hmm. And specifically, am I going to do that out of love because I know that God loved me? Um, and it's always that kind of like when, when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment in, in a culture where they fought, they tried to follow, what was it? 630, I don't have 614, a number. I think six something, yeah, little, little laws and commandments yep. to try and just follow them by the, by the, uh, fine tooth comb. And Jesus said, the most important commandment is love your God. But then he even went further and said, the second is love your neighbor. And I think there's this idea that when we understand the gospel, when we get that, when, when we've been um, changed by, by the gospel, when we've been um, saved, when we're being sanctified, we, we know God's love and we, we are able to love God. And from that love that God loved us with, we love him. And then that flows into an outward love of, of loving our neighbors. But um, even like when you, when you look at the... Um like when you look back in the Old Testament at that command to, to love your neighbor, because um, it's referenced multiple times in, in the Gospels and in, in the epistles and, and general letters, um, most people will think like, oh, my neighbor is, is you know, the person that I'm, I have a good relationship with. But in fact, when um, Moses is writing about you know, love your neighbor, he's not just saying people that you're in good relationship with. He's talking about those who are your enemies, those who are in good standing with you. He, like it, it's all encompassing, right? So it's not this uh, just, you know, there's like, a, yeah. There's a song called Love Your Neighbor. It's by a guy called Todd Agnew. Uh, and in this song, he says, love your neighbor doesn't ask if they've apologized. 
love your neighbor doesn't ask if you know they've ticked you off like, anyways it goes on and on basically saying there's no qualifiers to this it's not love your neighbor if they're easy to love well i'm gonna go further uh jesus did uh the the most difficult command that he gave wasn't to love your neighbors or even to love the lord your god it's love your enemies yeah mm. and it's it's really strange because you know i I grew up in a fairly, you know, left-leaning kind of church where basically we were all questioning whether the Bible really said this because, you know, we had all sorts of uh, textual critical methods to apply to it. Nobody disagrees that Jesus actually commanded to love your enemies. Mm. And so, I mean, uh, okay, uh, honestly, I, I don't mean it wasn't, it isn't harder to love God. I mean, we can't do it without God first giving us the ability to love him. But loving your enemies, that's that's very different than what we would normally do in the world. But uh, again, that practical application of loving your enemies, the world right now is torn apart. Um, I have things going on in my family that, you know, not, not enemy, but it can make it very hard to sometimes love someone without first looking at myself and being like, man, I, I have sin in my own life. I've, I've, I've done evil things myself. We, it makes it, it can make it very hard to sometimes love other people in your own family, but you have to step back and take a look at yourself and reevaluate. Okay. God forgave me. So I need to allow God to work in my heart. So I forgive them and just figure out a way how to work with them and still apply the gospel. Because again, you need you need that repentance, you need that faith, and you need that evidence of the fruit fruit in your life. And uh, sometimes you need to have those awkward conversations with people, and that that means praying for people when it's hard to pray for them. That means um, calling them out on their sin when it's awkward, because not because you're higher than what they are, but because you love them and you want them to draw closer to God. And of course, all of this is whether or not they hate you is irrelevant. Absolutely. It's, again, they love your neighbor. It doesn't ask if your neighbor hates you. It doesn't ask if your neighbor is the same religion or skin color you are. And if Jesus is, you know, telling the truth there that we are commanded to love our enemies, and He's God, so He is telling the truth. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter because even if they do hate you, it's pretty much Jesus saying, "Yeah, and love them." Yeah, so what? <laughs> Love them anyways. Yeah. Um, Pretty sure Jesus also says that you're going to be hated. That's true. Yeah, I mean, if the, wor if the world hates me, then they'll treat you the same way. I don't know, you know what Christians are expecting. Um, if the world, you know, took the one that we believe to be God, our Lord and Savior, if the world took him and beat him, whipped him, and then crucified him, well, what do we think their response is going to be to us? We're not always going to have a favorable response. But even if we do have a favorable response, it doesn't change our requirements. We need to love our enemies. We need to love our neighbors. And we need to have faith in the gospel because we have all this because of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this will, will pique your interest. So right out of 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And so we touched on this, right? We touched on the obedience that comes from faith in Christ for what he's done. And so there's another litmus test. Are you obeying the commands of Christ, right? So, oh, the gospel is beautiful. It is. It is. Are there any other things that the gospel would, would, would change the way we operate in the world? Uh, are there ways that the gospel affects what we do and how we see the world around us? Because, I mean, you mentioned that there's a whole bunch of them. We've probably dealt with, you know, love, peace, patience, mm -hmm. 
but what uh, self-control we've talked about. But um, what about joy? joy? Joy is a big one, I think, because... Only if it comes from down in your heart. Where? Joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. Yeah, I'm told I shouldn't sing, so I won't paint yeah. yep. our listeners' ears anymore. Pretty I much. <laughs> okay, <Thanks. laughs> not to be exegeting songs or anything. It says, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Not that the joy comes from my heart. And I think that's going to be important because I don't think that's where gospel joy comes from. No, and like, you know, again, like that song, it's not from our heart. It's in, I guess, in our quote-unquote heart, but it comes from God. Joy is not just happiness. It's not the gospel makes me happy. It gives me joy. Though, to be fair, it does. Oh, it, absolutely. I mean, I take I it, I take great joy, but that joy makes me happy, if that makes sense. Uh, because joy is something that can't just be taken away. It's, happiness is fleeting. Um, I can walk out of here, be happy as anything, and someone can cut me off or flip me to yeah, flip yeah. me the finger, flip me the bird, and that will tick me off so much, and I could chase them down the road, and I'm not happy anymore. But that doesn't mean I don't have joy in God's word because I'm going to be convicted and be like, I probably shouldn't have acted out in anger in that moment. Just means that you need more sanctification. <laughs> so <laughs> Thanks I think, for pointing that out. <laughs> I, think um, I, love I mean, joy, joy is definitely a topic that we could talk so, so much about. Um and, and for me, I think it's important, especially if there are people who aren't Christians out there, that when we talk about this this concept of real, true joy, um, and, and when Adam talks about it not just being happiness, there there is truth to that because, I mean, Christians, like, we also have the command to mourn with those who mourn and things like that, and mm-hmm. we're told that we're going to suffer, we're told that we're going to be hated, and, and when those things happen to us, we're not just always hurrah, life is fantastic, right? Like there are real emotions of, of sorrow and sadness that Christians go through. And that's, yeah. that's not sin. That's, that's okay. But see, the, the thing that, that real, true Christian joy is, is that even though we walk through these different stages of life, even though we walk through the sorrows, even though we walk through um, times like COVID-19 where, where there could be job loss or marriage tr- struggles um, or, or children's struggles, at the end of the day, we have faith in God. We, we trust him. And there's a real sense of peace and joy that flows from that, that we, at the end of the day, we know that he's in control, that he loves us, and that that's just a bigger love than whatever kind of negative thing that can happen to us here. And so even though we may be sad, we may be sorrowful, at the bottom of our hearts, there's, there's still this joy and and satisfaction and a word that I like to always pair with joy, um, especially from when you're talking about Philippians four is contentment. So Dave, are you telling me that James got it right 2000 years ago when he wrote to his audience, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds Man, so good. Yeah. That's very countercultural, isn't it? Uh, pure joy as you face trials. Usually when we face trials, we're like, God, what did I do wrong? God, why are you not hearing my prayers? Well, I mean, it's interesting in Acts when uh, at one of the points at which uh, a couple of the apostles were placed before the Sanhedrin, they come out after having been beaten. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Like actually counting themselves joyful for being persecuted. I think as Christians we could probably learn a lot from that. And meanwhile, I mean, it's not it's not persecution, but you know, we have Christians who are totally ticked off because the government is saying you can't have services right now, or if you do, you need to have these restrictions in place. It, it's it's completely different than being dragged in front of a, <laughs> a a court trial, basically, where you could be deemed worthy of death. And you come at rejoicing because you you were under that threat because you're preaching the gospel. And meanwhile, we can get you no know, our government has said for now you can't have a church service. <laughs> like that's that's not persecution. But even if it was, you should take joy in it that you're worthy of being persecuted, just like your Lord and Savior was. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that we embrace injustice or anything like that. 
I mean, I, uh, I don't think we should be turning to people who are actually oppressed and saying, yeah, you should just suck it up. No, no. But it does mean that when we face suffering, when we face difficulties, we need to be careful that we're not uh, living in our own desires and instead of living in, well, light of the gospel. Yeah, again, the gospel is what gives us joy because the faith, that trust we have in Christ is that he has done it all. And no matter what comes my way, it, that, that one hope will never be taken away from me. That one hope of my salvation in Christ can never be taken away. Whether the government says I can or cannot have a service, whether um, I'm threatened with death, or whether... I lose everything, my job, my family. My salvation is still at rest in Christ. Or even if you're given everything and you have all sorts of mm -hmm. acceptance, your salvation is still not in that, but in the gospel. And when you come to saving faith in Christ, you get a new hope. Yes. Do you see what I did there? Yeah. Star Wars. Star Wars new episode hope. four. Yeah. Right. A new hope. Yeah. A new hope. Looking at Adam's t-shirt too much. There. I got a bad feeling about his t-shirt. I do as well. You guys don't like Han Solo? Yeah. He's, he's, he's cool. Who shot first? Greedo. <laughs> Han, but anyway. <laughs> Ooh, showdown. <laughs> anyway. <Bye>. So, <clears throat> given that the gospel has such big ramifications for, for believers... And for anyone who comes to faith in it, to comes to believe it, um, what kind of responses should we expect to the gospel? Because I don't think everybody immediately just simply agrees with this. Well, there's, there's only two responses, really, when you break it down. There's acceptance or rejection. Mic drop? I, <laughs> I, I guess I agree and disagree. Um, yes, in the immediate... But I think there's also, I mean, there's, and I guess this would come down to the, what you meant by the question, but when you talk about response to the gospel, do you mean immediate response or like response over a certain period of time? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I think if you, for instance, if you go back to the parable of the sower, which is, you know, a very exegetically rich passage to really dive into and, and exegete and, and look at what it says. And yeah, I got it here. You want me to read it out before you get into it? Um, yeah, sure, if, if you want to. Uh, so this is the CSB I'm reading from. It says, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and then the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell of rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came and choked it. Still other seeds fell on the good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. Yeah, so my my view of that passage anyways is that it, this, the, the seed, I mean, he's talking about people who hear the word, um, which most certainly includes the gospel. Um, so when we're talking about how do people respond, I think they're, I mean, you can look at, kind of those different responses. There are people who will just reject it. There are people who will um, accept it. And, and amongst those who accept it, time will tell and, and situations will tell whether or not that's genuine or not. And that kind of comes into how do people handle things like suffering? How do people handle um, competing um, competing values? So things like money and, and riches and stuff like that. Um, and ultimately, I mean, I guess one thing I, I will why I agree with Matt a hundred percent is because when I think it is important to emphasize that it's going to be, people are going to accept it or reject because I think a lot of people will reject it pretty harshly um, because it's, it flies in the face of a lot of what we want to think about ourselves. I mean, we talked about this last autonomy. Episode. I think it comes down to autonomy. We all like to think we're autonomous and we can set our own law. And I think the gospel challenges people in that, and that no, you're not a law in and of, of yourself, right? But anyway, that's that's a bigger discussion. Well, <laughs> I, I would, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, for definition of the gospel is God, man, Christ response. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think pretty much everybody has the temptation to think that I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. So right from step one, if that's your gospel, then that's offensive. Yeah. Yeah, and as we, I mean, we want to see St. John's won over to the gospel. That's the whole purpose of Malwin Mission. We want to see gospel-centered churches planted in our city. Uh, we're less than 1% evangelical attending churches. So as we go, I mean, Matt, you're a church planter. I'm wanting to be a church planter, working through that here at Malwin Mission. The responses we're going to get are going to be so varied, even one on the types of people, but also in the t- areas of the city we reach out in. Uh, we could have people come to our church and we could pour our lives into them and try and disciple them. And it could turn out they're shallow ground and they just walk away from that truth. And, and that that's, will break our hearts. And that's where you you got to rest in the sovereignty of God, mm-hmm. right? Because not everyone's going to respond to it. And you can't take it upon your shoulders that it's anything you can do to get someone to saving faith, right? And and I think that's why, at least when, I don't know which gospel you read the, the parable from Adam, but uh, in Mark... Matthew. Oh, okay, and I'm not sure if Matthew has this as well, but I know in Mark's gospel, there's a series of parables there, and I think this is why the, the parable of the farmer who sleeps mm. is also so close into this grander scheme of teaching because basically the, the, the parable is that the farmer goes out and sows and he sleeps and he doesn't know how it grows, but he knows that it does. So us as, as gospel workers, um, and that's not just people who work on staff as church. Those are Christians who go out and, and live out the great commission of telling people about Jesus. It's not our job to save people. We, we can go to bed at night and sleep because we know that God's got it. Um, and he will do whatever he, he desires and what he wills. And if yeah. he's going to save them, he will. We sow those seeds, we throw them out, we talk to people, we tell people what the gospel is, and then we leave it in God's hands for how that, you know, we don't know if that's shallow ground, we don't know if it fell on the path, we don't know if there's thorns in our lives. We just throw, sow the seed, and we just trust God and pray that we hit some good ground and that people are going to respond in faith to the gospel truth. And, and don't miss, too, that when you're getting this idea of, of trusting God with this, that the parable uses sleeping. I don't know about you guys, but when I sleep, I'm at peace and I am just content. And you haven't had kids yet. <laughs> well, I mean, when it's I'm coming. sleeping, it's coming. <laughs> when I'm sleeping, yeah. <laughs> if you can sleep with kids, no. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, you're. you're I you're think totally you're absolutely right. right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was uh, a good discussion. So for uh, next time, mm-hmm. we'll probably we have a lot of topics we can discuss further. Thank you for listening to uh, Rugged Theology. Uh, This is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you have any questions or concerns or just want to reach out to us, you can find us at www.mileonemission.ca.